Section 17 of Dulcamara. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Grassi. Dulcamara by Howard Saxby. When Falls the Rain. You walk to the window and look out. The deuce, it's still raining. What are you going to do all day? You try to console yourself by thinking of what you would do to the rain man if you only had him in your power. You tire of this and think you'll read. There is a book on the table and you pick it up. Aesop's Fables. Well, you guess not. You throw it into the corner and take up Barry's my Lady Nicotine. After settling down into an easy chair, you read a little. And then, influenced by the book, you want to smoke, and so you fill and light your favorite briar. Wonder what that Arcadia mixture is which Barry talks so much about. Finally, you get crazy for a pipe of Arcadia, and then you realize that there probably is no such mixture, and that you can't get any of it if there is. So My Lady Nicotine follows Aesop into the corner. Next, you get a volume of Shakespeare out of the bookcase and open it at The Merchant of Venice. As you turn over the leaves, you see The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. Before this, you have always admired Shakespeare, but now he falls many degrees in your estimation. The idea of comparing mercy to rain. No wonder the Jew didn't want to have anything to do with it when Portia told him it was like rain. You put Shakespeare back and sit down to smoke and think. You picture to yourself what you would have done if it hadn't rained. You cannot quite decide whether you would have spent the day in the country or whether you would have started on a trip to the North Pole, hanged if you know what you would have done, only you are sure it would have been something interesting. Why doesn't somebody drop in? You ask yourself. You go downstairs and walk about the house with your hands in your pockets. You see a new novel on the table. You pick it up and carry it back to your room. When you are once more seated in your armchair, you open it and look at the first page. The book is by a woman, and, as usual in such cases, begins with the glowing description of a beautiful day in some beautiful place. After the first ten lines or so, you throw it away, disgusted. It seems utterly impossible for lady novelists to withstand scenery. Perhaps they try, but when once they have tasted the intoxicating draft... When once they have written a paragraph of scenery, they are filled with an insatiable craving for more, more, more. The inebriate's desire for liquor is as nothing when compared with the lady novelist's predilection for scenery. When you have tossed away the modern novel, you relight your briar, and going to the bookcase thoughtlessly, take out a volume of Poe. Hmm. Poe's a nice thing to read on a rainy day, you think? You turn over the leaves until you come to the raven. You did not intend to read it, but you do. The sorrowful lines ease your own melancholy. 
A part of the second stanza especially seems to fit your own case. Eagerly I sought the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my book's surcease of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. Yes, vainly you have sought to borrow from your book surcease of sorrow. These lines fit you exactly, but one thing annoys you. You have never been unsuccessful in love. In fact, you have never been in love. And so you can't be as melancholy as the author of The Raven. Why on earth didn't some girl jilt you? There certainly is no excuse for the way women have treated you. You decide that as soon as it quits raining, you will go outside and get some feminine acquaintance to theoretically throw you down. When you have finished the poem, you replace the volume and walk to the window. Oh, the poor old world. How dreary and uninviting it looks. The sky may be its friend, but like other friends, it sometimes smiles. And then again it frowns. Today it deluges the patient earth with water. It sends its slaves, the cold, fierce winds, to uproot trees and topple over buildings. It makes the face of our once lovely world all dirty, sad, and sorrowful. Tomorrow it thinks how unkind it has been. It is surprised at itself and sorry. It hides its shame neath soft blue clouds and sends sweet-smelling zephyrs to its friend to pray forgiveness. We really should be more indulgent to our poor, overworked earth. We should not be quite so ready to blame and abuse her. After all, we are her children, and she does her best for us. Perhaps she remembers that she too, yes, even she, our aged, wrinkled, wise earth, was once a useless infant. She was created, passed through babyhood, through childhood, through youth. She grew, becoming beautiful and flourishing, until at last she was able to care for children. And we, her children, were given her. How hard a time our poor old mother must have in caring for all her progeny. They must be fed and nourished, and, oh, how many there are to nourish. Is it just to blame her because she sometimes fails? It may be true that she has favorites. But since we are descended from the earth, it is probable we inherited from her one great fault, human nature. And therefore, since the earth possesses this fault of fault, she cannot care for everyone the same. She cannot love the sin-blackened criminal as she loves the spotless virgin. She cannot love the lazy ignoramus as she loves the broad-minded sage. She sees some child of hers with massive mind and great abilities. Her mother's pride is aroused, and she rains on him showers of gold and shining silver. Or if such may be his wish, she gives him fame. Ah, a kindly mother is our earth, but like other mothers, she often makes mistakes. She cannot give us happiness. She gives us something which she thinks will help us to it. But alas, her gifts are oft mischosen. Our tear-stained faces show her this at times, and then she drops a tear or two and takes us to her bosom. Perchance this is her way of parting with us. She holds us close and says, Goodbye. 
Then she takes us by the hand and leads us to some realm where happiness holds sway supreme, where the sturdy sentinels of truth and joy thrust back with sharp-pronged spears the squirming mundane imps of sorrow, sin, and jealousy. We weep when Mother Earth would give us her last embrace. We exert our feeble strength and draw back, crying out, Leave me here. I will be content. But she gently closes our eyes, and thus, while we sleep, she starts us on our journey to the happy hunting ground. By this time, you have worked yourself into a more contented mood, and walking away from the window, you sit down to write. Everything goes along fine now, and you flatter yourself you are at last going to produce something good. Five pages are written, and you have almost regained your customary good spirits when there is a knock at the door, and Harry Fitzgerald comes in. The devil? you exclaim. Oh, no, only I, old man, not the devil at all, you know. Here's your pipe. Found it down on the sidewalk. Got any tobacco? You hand him your pouch and resignedly fill your own pipe. Well, it's always that way on a rainy day. As soon as you get to doing something you want to do, you are compelled by unrelenting fortune to do something you don't want to do. What was rain made for anyway? End of section 17